Hello there. Welcome back to the Teaching Culture Cast, your home for community and culture in teaching. I'm Matthew Bliss, your host. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 2 of the podcast. A big thank you to all of you who listened to Episode 1. It was great to see so many people jumping on the train so early, and it's a really great indicator of success, hopefully, for us that you'll enjoy future episodes as well. So uh, if you haven't yet, and this is your first episode to listen to of the Teaching Culture Cast, jump back to episode one when you have a chance and uh, let us know what you think. More importantly, I want to make sure that you know how you can get in touch with me at the Teaching Culture Cast. Uh, if you want to be featured on an episode, if you want to get a bit of feedback or just share it around with the people in the teaching community that you know might be interested, feel free to subscribe to us on Instagram at Teaching Culture Cast. Jump into the Australian Teachers subreddit, which is r slash Australian Teachers. Should be very easy to find. Or you can send a direct message to me via email, teachingculturecast at gmail.com. Or just get in touch with me on LinkedIn as well. Uh, I've been making a few posts there, and I think there's a few teachers floating around in that LinkedIn community. So there's a bunch of ways for you to get in touch. And I really would like to hear your feedback, what you think, and if you'd like to participate or guest on an episode that's coming up. Now, another really important thing I wanted to mention at the time of recording, there's a number of teachers that are going back for the final term in Australia of the year, term four. And with the current state of things, either politically or due to the pandemic, uh, we're starting to make the shift away from remote teaching and back into face-to-face learning. So I just wanted to make sure that you know that everyone at the Teaching Culture Cast is in great support of the work that you're doing. And uh, if it's a little bit harder than you think it would be, just make sure that you know that we're all behind you as well as the rest of the teaching community. Now, without further ado, we're going to jump into this week's episode. This is Sandra, who's talking to us everything about remote learning and her reflections on remote learning over the last year. We're going to discuss lesson plans, the things that you do as a pre-service teacher and how they translate to the classroom when you become a teacher, and a bit about adaptive reflection, both in the lesson and even afterwards, and some of the things that has really helped Sandra. She's been in teaching for a couple of decades now, so she's got a wealth of experience. But as you may discover as we listen to the episode, she was actually very experienced at the very beginning anyway. There's a couple of great anecdotes in there as well. She's had some very interesting times through her teaching career and some very interesting stories to tell. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. Welcome back, everyone, to the Teaching Culture Cast, your home for community and culture for teaching. Uh, I'm Matthew Bliss, and I am uh, meeting this week with Sandra. Sandra is, uh, well, actually, you introduce yourself, Sandra. I don't want to speak for you on this front. Hi, Matt. Um, Thanks for having me here. Yep. So I'm a secondary teacher. I've been one since 1992. Obviously, I did a few different things before I got a teaching geek, uh, mostly in retail. Also took some time off to have a child, Mm -hmm. but then returned to teaching. Um, I teach mainly in the area of the visual arts. Well, that is my main thing, the visual arts. Dipped my toe into a little bit of year nine careers, some year seven technology, um, and also qualified to teach RE. Obviously, I teach at a Catholic school. (laughs) Yeah. Very broad experience, I'd say. Very broad experience, yeah. One of the first expectations any pre-service teacher or someone getting into the profession should have is that they won't necessarily just stick to their own subject area. Why you'll um you'll you'll go where needed. Um look and main and mainly if that happens, 
you'll get asked to do a junior thing. So a year seven and eight. So you'll be mm. able to um, bluff your way through it. <laughs> um, but that, you know, that comes with being a new teacher. I have to yeah. say that every job I've ever, or every job, not that I've had a hundred of them, but my jobs, I've always walked into them because something dramatic has happened at the school. So uh, the teacher oh. before me walked out abruptly and just left the domain in a mess. And so I've always come in and I've always had to come in and pick up the pieces and clean up and just get on with the job. Um, mm. In terms of my teaching career, that's been really good in one way because I've had to be very adaptable and very flexible. Um, and that's taught me that's taught me a lot. And I think that thing kind of continues, has continued in my teaching career. So, you know, always come in and cleaned up the mess for some reason. Well, it's no better times than, of course, being the time of the recording, Melbourne is entering another lockdown. And uh, the previous evening to this recording, uh, schools completely unprepared or perhaps a level of prepared had to go back to remote teaching for another week. And that adaptability and versatility that you were just talking about is probably what, what has helped you there. Again, I don't want to put words in your mouth on that one. Um, based on how things have gone this time round, is there any best practice guidelines about remote teaching that you would pass on to anyone else? Oh, God, that's a really hard one. Um, maybe just think of something you had to do this time, maybe. that would be Maybe technology and what it's capable of, I think. You know, I've been a teacher that's been teaching for a while, so technology's moved quite quickly for me. Um, and mm. so I've only... I only learnt last week, God, this is embarrassing, how to use breakout rooms. Yay, me! <laughs> to be fair to you, uh, breakout rooms is something that's evolved over time, I think, in terms of the technology. Yeah, so I thought they were really good and they've got a use, but I suppose for visual arts, it's a little bit different, um, especially when you're uh, teaching seniors. So, um, yeah, you just have to be really quick on the mark um, and be good with spontaneity, I think, particularly with the visual arts, I and mean, I'm not saying any other subject is e easier to teach online. I'm certainly not saying that. But because it's a practical subject, I've gone from teaching ceramics, literally teaching ceramics with clay on Thursday, to mm -hmm. coming coming in today, having the same class online um, and having to get them to download an app because that's what I was thinking about all night. How am I going to do, how am I going to continue the clay stuff online? So I got them to download uh, let's create pottery. It's an app, uh, whether mm -hmm. on their phones and that, and so uh, whether on their phones or iPad. And then they're making they're making online shapes and they're decorating. And so we're looking at how the the decoration matches the form of the pot. So you've got to be. I think in this day and age, um, if you're a quick thinker, it really helps. I think that's probably the good thing about being an art teacher. Mm. You're a very you're a good problem solver. You're really, it's really quick off the mark and you've got to be quick off the mark. Yeah. That's really cool. It probably might not show through in the recording that uh, my audience is probably listening to, but you got, you're just dropping bombs, knowledge bombs all over the place here. And I'm not able to ease our way into anything, <laughs> but, uh, but it's all so good. And I really want to get stuck into a lot of it, but um, I guess maybe let's start with a big framing, the framing discussion that we wanted to begin with, which yeah. was the idea of lesson plans. Yep. And uh, whether you're, you've been in teaching for 20 years or 20 minutes, you know, you think about structuring your lesson somehow. And a lot of people starting with their teacher training are drilled with the idea that lesson plans should be things that you script and write down and, you know, make sure that you've got 
the entire lesson for an entire sequence for an entire term or semester completely planned out. But uh, what's your experience in terms of lesson planning and how much you actually do or don't do? Yeah, look, I suppose like any new teacher in the beginning, I was the same. We really did those detailed lesson plans. Um, I was the queen of them. They were fantastic. But so much has changed over time. And I, the pre-service teachers that come in now, they're really, really good at planning lessons. But in saying that, as an experienced teacher, I don't do so much of the day-to-day detailed lesson plans anymore that I first did when I started out in the job. At our school, and this may work for many other schools too, but at our school, we have what we call student planners and teacher planners. So we do put together quite detailed planners so that if somebody was to come in and take over somebody else's job, they know exactly what's got to be done and at what point it's got to be done. And they're more about units of work. So that's there. But in terms of myself personally, and I can speak for the other teachers, we just don't do that detailed lesson by lesson plan anymore. And it's because it's not viable, I think. When you're starting out as a teacher, you want to know exactly where you're at. But I can guarantee you that there are still teachers that are probably pre-service, first year out, that are planning these lessons and probably feel that they're still flying by the seat of their pants. Mm. They're missing out on information, even though it's written on the side. Oh, I forgot to tell that student that. And I miss this part. And so you can have the most detailed plan, but there's things you're going to, there's things that you're going to forget until I think you get that bit more experience. So the way I plan now is I do it in my, um, in my teacher chronicle. I have, so my version of a lesson plan is basically what task am I going to do? What's the learning intention for that task? And what are my expectations of that class? That's basically what I do. And the learning intention, realistically, when I was taught back when the dinosaurs roamed the earth, I was taught to have all these learning intentions and that I don't even remember what they were called then. They were called something else, but have them all. When realistically, you probably should have one learning intention a class because that's all you're going to get through. What is the most important thing you want to get through in that class? So being a bit more realistic with what you're going to get out of the lesson. Yeah, being a bit more realistic. There's no use in having five learning intentions when you've got a 75-minute lesson and you know that 15 minutes of it is set up. Mm. So what is it that you really, really want to get out of the lesson? I also have, um, and again, this is just personal to me, I've got a what-if column or what I call a what-if column. So uh, what happens if a fire drill happens in the middle of the lesson? What is it that I really want to get through? What is it that I need to tell student X? So I've got that. And then I make sure that I've got, okay, in my head, I know what I want to get through. What if I don't get through all this? What's next? What's coming next? So that's kind of how I plan. I'm not sure that's a help to anyone else. I hope it is. No, look, I... Uh, in in all the episodes of this podcast, I'll, I'll often commiserate from my own experience being a pre-service teacher, adding columns of information to the lesson plan template they give you day one that you use all the way through the master's or the bachelor's, whatever you're doing. They don't talk about that. What? Well, okay. They don't talk about making contingencies like that, presumably because they're worried about preserving brain space so they can do the things that need to get ticked off as part of the the assessments and stuff for the teaching. I, I think in this day and age too, you have to set yourself up for those contin- contingencies because we yeah. are, and I have found that a lot with going in and out of lockdown, 
We have to, at the spur of the moment, we're told we're returning the next day. And we walk in and you see it on the students' faces. They are tired. They cannot be bothered. So your best laid lesson plans, again, get put on the burner because you are now only going to do a quarter of what that lesson plan deems or what it says. Mm. Because you, can, you, you have to monitor those students. You have to be able to read them. It's really hard for a pre-service teacher to do that. But when you become, when you get a job in a school and you know your students and you know your classes, you'll be able to read that a lot better. Mm. That certainly comes with experience. So would you say the kind of lesson plans that you do now that are a bit of a light touch, they aren't as, you know, scripted, I guess, for lack of a better word, would you say that leaves the brain space for you to start like picking up things in the lesson like student behavior, like in practice reflections on lessons and pivoting because- students are doing different stuff or they're curious about different things. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, again, I can only speak from um, mostly a visual arts point of view. I always try and create a lesson or a lesson plan that has a hook that I know I'm going to grab those girls. And that's probably easier in visual arts than it is in a lot of other subjects. So there's always got to be something that I think, okay, I want to tackle this. It's a pretty heavy, it's pretty heavy content. But what's the hook here? Great, Van Gogh cutoff is here. Okay, that's the hook. And so they're quite fascinated by that and we need to discuss that for 10 minutes. Um, <laughs> but that's the hook. And then I gauge, I can gauge what's happening and then I can make up, uh, not make up, sorry, but we can go through some of the activities. But I'm conscious, and again, it comes with experience. I'm very conscious of, I, I watch the room, I survey the room a lot. Mm. And where I think, oh, back corner's not feeling this today, I'm onto it. And again, it's that adaptability, that spontaneity, how am I going to turn this around? So you've got to be watching those students. And you know what? As much as people think, oh, art, it must be so much fun and lessons are fantastic, we fail too. You know, sometimes Mm. things just don't go right in an art lesson. Sometimes what I thought was really interesting and they're going to love this has obviously become very boring for my clients, um, for my <laughs> audience. Um, so, yeah, things go wrong, but you have to give yourself scope to be able to, I say, I say survey the class, you know, as in sight it and yep. see what's going on and who's, who's engaged and who's not and then change a bit from there. And I guess art will give you a lot of opportunities to build on the learning as subject matter. Like you can pivot in directions and if you've been – tightly observing the students, you'll know which ones will be, in, whose interests will be piqued by different subjects. And yeah. uh, if you point them at something particular about your lear- learning intention, then it might motivate them to get there a bit faster. Yep. And again, it's about knowing your classes. I mm. have had times where I've had to say year eight art teaching, I'm teaching the same content. One has really ran with the content. The other one's not so much. And I had a year where I taught three year eight classes. So the first one was almost like, okay, this is where I experiment. The second one is, this is where I fix things up. And the third one was, wow, this is where I'm really running with it. So yeah, you get a chance when you have those double and triple classes of the same subject, you get a chance to tweak things and you have to tweak them. And not everything's going to work for every class. Like I said, you're going to have those kids that absolutely love art and then those kids that tell you, I can't draw. So what are you going to do for those ones? I suppose there has been, or there has to have been, a time where you've planned for a lesson and it's just 
completely gone in a different direction. <laughs> yeah, there has been. And I can remember one distinct class. It was, I was a first year teacher. Um, okay. I was teaching, I was teaching at a co-ed school and I loved it, but it was a rough school. Mm -hmm. I was still finding my feet as a teacher. The school wasn't really, not like the school that I teach in now. It was, you know, the art room was set up in portables and the budget wasn't so great, but nevertheless, I loved it and I really thrived. I really thrived there. And I had this fantastic lesson that I'd set up. We were going to learn about illuminated manuscripts. And so we were going to take the first letter of our name and we were going to make it really decorative and they were going to learn the ins and outs of it. And it was lesson four. And I thought, how cool to end the day with doing something like this. So the lesson plan was sensational. Um, I have to admit that. But the punch on that happened just before the bell went outside of the classroom, not so much so. So um, bell goes, there's a fight outside the classroom. I'm now crowd control. I've, you know, changed hats. I'm now crowd control. Um, I don't know what to do because the boys are taller than me um, and I'm yeah. trying to get into, you know, stop this fight. Other teachers have come. So anyway, we finally get into the classroom couple of the boys were taken away. Mm -hmm. Everyone's talking about what just happened outside the door and that Miss Nelly got her head, uh, her head punched in. <laughs> so I'm trying that. I just want to, I just want to teach an illuminated manuscript section yeah. and I can't get to it. And, you know, throughout that whole lesson or the remainder of that lesson, in and out were coordinators pulling kids out. And so I mm -hmm. thought, oh my God, what am I going to do here? Um, so I went right we're all feeling something about this incident. I don't even know how this came to me, but I said, we're all feeling something about this incident. So what's the rudest word that comes in your head? I don't need to know what it is. Just keep it in your head. What's the rudest word? Anyway, I go, you got it? Yeah. So I gave them all a piece of paper. I said, right. I said, the first letter of that word, I want you to make it huge. I want it to fill up the space of that sheet of paper. And so, as you can imagine, lots of S's and F's. <laughs> um, and I go, right now, you need to, you need to, you know, spell out the rest of that word, but you need to hide it in patterns and things like that. And that was my lesson, Matt, because I just didn't know what to do. Sounds brilliant, though. Highly decorative, hit the word. They had a lot of fun. They were laughing. So that was the main thing. I got them from being angry and tormented and whatever to, this is so funny. You're so cool. And I thought I am the most uncoolest person ever. Well, and that's what happened. So that was, you can't account for those things. The well, like I said, my lesson plan was awesome. It was time to perfection. Mm -hmm. um, we were going to have three minutes of this discussion. We were going to have seven minutes of an activity. And the punch-on happened and that took away 20 minutes of the lesson. Yeah. And you just don't know. And that's how quick you have to be adaptable, particularly in a practical class, because you just lose the time. Mm. But you have, you have said that that stuff comes with experience and yet this was your first year out that you've- That was my first year out. You pivoted on this. Yeah. So that was, um, again, like I said, all my, you know- my early teaching experience or, or changing schools has always been crazy stuff, you know, real crazy mm. stuff. Um, but that was, that was hard because the boys were, you know, they were really angry. Yep. How do I flip this around? Because this is just going to be the talk of the whole lesson now and I need to get on with this. Mm. Um, so that's, that's how, what I did, wrong or right, that's what I did. But look, they seem to have enjoyed the lesson. And then I kind of thought, okay, bugger it, we did this. 
And then I came back and worked backwards. So I kind of started from the end product and then worked my way backwards with that. Oh, that sounds awesome. I've got to tell you, there's not many subjects that would allow you to do something like that. Because having a digital technologies background, I don't think there's any way to convince a class of students after a punch on use programming as their creative outlet to create (laughs) things like that. So that's a spectacular pivot, I think. And it it speaks a lot to your- probably the reason you're a teacher as well. Yeah. Your ability to, like, you, you took the aspects of the well-being of the students and their mindset, you know, reflected on your own meticulously planned lesson and then just pivoted on that immediately. Yeah, look, I think you're probably right. And I did it all before all that was trendy and popular in education. Um, That's it. You know, it was a long time ago. I was ahead of my time. Is that what you're saying? You were, yes. I'm saying you were set up for success from day one. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, look, that was, that's what happened then and that was great. And then there have been other times where I've just thought, this is going to work so well, this lesson, and it just doesn't. It just flops and you're mm. so disappointed by it and you don't know why and you take it back and you think, where did I go wrong? What kind of happened here? So I, I, I am a person, no, I am a thinker. I constantly reflect, reflect on my practice mm-hmm. and on the content that I'm teaching. I do look at every year level and think, oh, is that beyond them? Is it not? Would they get something out of this? Wouldn't they? So, and I and I'm lucky because I do love that curriculum development. Yeah. So if you don't, you're a little bit unlucky. But if you do, then then you can do anything and come out of anything. It's really cool though. The the idea of reflective practice is something that tries to get drilled into us a little bit too. But you kind of have to come in with a little bit of that idea yourself as well. Which for me, like I'm I'm like you. I'm an overthinker. I'll always, you know, I don't have the quick pivots like you do. You know, thinking about everything that you do, reflecting in the lesson and after the lesson is something that gets talked about a lot, but maybe isn't covered as much. Right. So, is there anything specific that you do to structure that reflection or do you find it just happens naturally? Yeah, look, I think it just happens naturally. And again, I, it's not just an after the class reflection, it's during it. So I'm, I'm keeping an eye out for what's going on. As a pre-service teacher, as a new teacher, you're just trying to keep yourself, you know, keep your head above water, trying to get through the content with a little bit more practice. You will learn to navigate the classroom better and you'll learn to read the classroom and the class and the students a lot better. And, and it's hard when you're pre-service and you're coming into a pre-service teacher that's coming into my classes is hard. Those kids trust me. They don't trust the pre-service teacher coming in. So Mm. that's where it's a little bit, you're at a disadvantage there. I know in some, uh, I have to say again, in our school, our girls love us. You know what I mean? So I get emails when I'm away sick, like, why have you left us with this CRT? (laughs) Why did you do that? So when a pre-service teacher comes in, they're great and they're excited, but they're looking to me as if, you know, am I right? Is this what I'm meant to be doing? But when you get into your classroom, you will earn that. Trust is the most important thing. You've got to listen to your students. I've learned that over the years. I think when I first came into teaching, if I'm really honest, I was that dictator type. I'm the boss. This is what happens, blah, blah, blah. But I was also 24 years old. And as I've gotten older, I've learned to understand them better. I've had my own son since then. 
I get teenagers better. And it's not about being their friend, but it's about making sure that you've got this relationship and connection with them. The other thing I was going to say, and I should have said it before, mm-hmm. it's really important that you love your subject, that you have a passion for the subject that you teach. And I think that's got to come out of you in the classroom. When the students see that, oh, wow, you know, Miss really loves the visual arts. They know, especially my seniors, when I talk, when I do the art history stuff, they see the passion that I have for it. And so they thrive on that and then they get, they get hooked into it. So it's probably a little bit difficult. I mean, Matt, your technology, so it'd be a bit harder for you if you were to teach English. It's not your area. But I was thinking too, there are subjects where passion is hard to, <laughs> maths, for example. There are people yeah. who just love algebra, just yeah. love it. But if you're in the middle, it's really hard to show that passion sometimes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it really is. So there's got to be, yeah, so sometimes you've got to lie. Teachers have to be great actors too. Did you know that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's one of the big tips, I think. You've just got to, you know, hi, especially with sevens, I think with seven, eight, and nine, it's a bit easier. Sevens are just excited about everything. Mm. So you can go in and. Hi, ladies. Guess what we're doing today? And then what? 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 What are we doing? You know, probably got to every word you say. You know, try yeah. and do it with the year ten class, and it's ah, uh, motivation levels aren't quite there. Yep. There's there's probably some uh, footnotes from behavioural textbooks and stuff in in teacher training that maybe isn't included often that talks about that um, childhood development stage. But yeah, all that is super good. And for anyone who's about to do their teaching practice, that's obviously going to be something really important that you think about constantly if you're a pre-service teacher about to walk in, especially knowing that you have to establish that trust in four to six weeks, have that trust established and then start getting stuff done in the case that it's really hard to to push the boat through the water until that happens. And the other thing too that uh, if I can add that kids are really smart, kids are really smart. They know when you're faking it. So yes, just be really careful. They will take you to task on it. That and if you approach them about something and you're not being real with them, like if they feel like you're not giving an answer that you would normally give, yeah. they, they get aware of that too pretty yeah. quickly. Absolutely. You get to know them and you yeah, build a trust. I mean, I've got, I teach year 12s now. I've taught year 12s for a long time. But because I've had many of them since year seven and kind of they dip in and out of art along the way, you know, it's such a different relationship that I have with them as year 12s than I did as a year nine student. They trust me. They hang on every word I say. They start, you know, they they know that you're there to guide them now. They understand that. Mm-hmm. So would you say then that, that teaching across a, a broad spectrum of year levels is going to be a big advantage because you'll see students from when they Absolutely. grow? Absolutely. Not only do you have to, again, it's a great way to adjust yourself. You know, you mm-hmm. go in one class and you're teaching to year sevens and then the next thing you're adjusting your language to the year 11s, almost a bit of a bipolarish thing, you know, like I'm down yeah. here having a bit of fun, but now I've got seniors, it's a completely different language, completely different take on life. But I think that's the fantastic part. I think once you learn to adapt to that, um, then you pretty much can adapt to anything. So maybe those pre-service teachers that are thinking, I just want to do literature. I'm going to target year 11 and 12 for everything and that's going to be what I do. Maybe it would be beneficial in the first couple of years to do as much as they can. Absolutely. Do some junior stuff. But I also think too that the more you do, the more you can spread yourself across subjects or, or year levels, I think the better teacher you become. 
I, I really do. I think kids keep you on your toes. The students keep you on your toes. I mean, it's good for you because if you teach, you imagine teaching year 11 and 12, year after year after year, you ha- you'd have to become stale. Yeah. You know, you're doing the same thing. I try not to do that again. I, I am a developer of curriculum. I love that kind of thing. I'm a big reflector, but it's very, very easy to get into the habit, given how busy schools are now, mm. get into that habit of, great, I've got that lesson planned from last year. I'm just going to rejig that and do it. Not, it's, I don't think it's really good for the soul, to be honest. No. And that's when I say those kids are going to pick up on that passion that you've lost. Yeah. Um, so whilst Seems easy in the beginning. I think in the long run, it's not a good thing. It always helps to to jazz things up anyway, because the teaching profession is probably evolving faster than it ever has. Yeah, look, I can I can tell you how many my colleagues and I we sit there when the new big thing comes out, you know, and they've changed the name, and we look at ourselves and think, oh, wasn't that cool? Goal based learning fifteen years ago. <laughs> um, yeah. they change the name. It's the same thing. Change the name, but do it. But, but you go in and you go in with fresh eyes and, you yeah. know, what they, what they tell you to do and you, you pick up and you run with it. So is there a specific methodology you have when you're reflecting and building, you know, those tiny little plans now? Or do you, I mean, I asked you this a little while ago anyway, but like, is there some, do you write things in a chronicle when you're taking notes in class and then use that as a basis for reflection? Or are you someone that just keeps it all in your memory? No, I keep it in my memory, but when I go back and look at, um, when I go back to the Chronicle and look, actually, no, that's a lie. When I go back to the initial lesson plan, I look at that and I think, hang on, have I missed something here? So I go back and look at that deeply detailed school planner, think, did I miss something? Right, well, that didn't work there. And because there might be a couple of us teaching it, I go back and talk to my colleagues who are also teaching that subject and first I check in with them. So mm-hmm. I'll say, hey, Michelle, that year eight lesson didn't work for me. This and this happened in my class. How did you go in your class? And then maybe that hers was the same experience or it might be different. But if we've had the same experience, then we nut out what's gone wrong and we reflect that way. So two heads are better than one, really. Mm. If nobody else teaches the subject, which I have many subjects like that, and it's just me, then I do it myself. But that's pretty much it. You go back to the drawing board. The more experience you have, the better you get at it. But yeah, initially always go back to what the learning intentions were. What did I want to get at? Sometimes it's just as simple as, yeah, should have had one learning intention, not three. It was too much for that that group of kids. Mm. I was trying to pull too much from them. Yeah, I just keep thinking I should have come to you when I was doing my my pre-service oh. teacher training. <laughs> I really should have because that idea of community is something that, that we talk about a lot in teaching as well. And we're really good at practicing in our immediate space. But I think reaching out is much easier these days than it used to be as well. Whether you've got a small group that you can communicate with or creating a larger network to bounce these ideas off, it's always a really good idea. Yeah, we're really lucky to, we are a small group, uh, like as in five or six people, five teachers mm. and an art technician. And that's relatively small considering you've probably got about 13 science teachers in the one school, you know, and, and maths and that. But yep. we are very tight knit as well. We don't always agree, but we respect each other's opinions and we do things very differently because we we come from different uh, universities and colleges and we're taught differently. Some of us were taught as artists and some of us were taught as teachers. So there's conflicts there. Uh, sometimes, sometimes we have conflicts. Do you teach 
concepts over skill. I'm always a skill person. Teach them the skills. The concepts will come later. Some of my colleagues go, no, let them let them bugger it up, but let them have the big ideas. And, you know, I don't like that, but that's fine. That's the way they do it. That's the school of thought they come from. But, yeah, we like to bounce off ideas, uh, like to bounce our ideas off one another, and that really works for us. And I think, again, if you can get into a school and into a department where, you know, you feel comfortable in verbalising and asking and doing all those things, I think there's going to be more successful outcomes for your students. And I guess to bring it all back around, with the remote learning stuff that happened in Victoria last year and a couple of times this, well, it's not a couple anymore, many times, perhaps many more, how have you done with uh, both adapting your lessons, your reflective practice, your getting together with that little teaching community that you've got in the art department? Has that all just transferred from the physical to the virtual or how do you get that stuff done? Yeah, I think, I think again, I'm the head of arts in my school. So I like to, I just like to keep an eye on my colleagues, my staff's mental health to start with. So you do that individually one-on-one with each of them? We meet We meet as a meet, as a staff meeting online and I like to do check-ins. I do also text. I also text them, hi, guys, how are you going? You know, send them some silly memes, whatever, um, because it's, it's really hard. I find lockdown really difficult. We're a practical subject. You know, it works for theory, but it doesn't work for the prac part and it's really, really difficult. So I like to keep, not keep tabs on them, but I like to check in and make sure they're okay. Um, we have drinks online, you know, um, and catch up that way. Hey, how did your sevens go today? How did the tens go? What are we thinking? And then we talk about how we've adapted our classes. So again, I'll refer to a ceramics class. Yesterday I was teaching with Clay and today I had to do something else. I had to make sure they downloaded an app. When we first went into remote, uh, teaching last year, I had the same the ceramics class. I teach ceramics anyway, at year 10 level. I thought, my God, what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? So I thought, right, straight away, I sent out emails to them and went, this is now becoming a sculpture class. We are going to build um, birdhouses and you're going to do it by using found objects, anything you've got around the house. And Matt, can I tell you, it was one of the best lessons that I ever had. And they were so excited. I couldn't believe how excited they were. And I said, anything, McDonald's containers, you know, boxes, whatever, we're going to do it. You're going to do this. And we did, we we worked through the art process the same way, Mm -hmm. you know, gather inspiration, trial some ideas, create, you know, do some developmental work. Um, refine your pieces and then make a finished piece. And they had to hang it somewhere. They had to think about where it was going to be placed in their backyard or front yard. And then they had to video themselves talking about it. And they loved it. They loved it. You know, they could make designer homes or, you know, whatever that they wanted for their birds. So it was fantastic. I had a girl who did a series of um, the large Coca-Cola bottles and she hung them at the front of her house so the birds could come in. So yes. it, it went from a ceramics to sculpture slash steam, if you want. Yeah. That's excellent. Did I answer that question? I think I went off tangent. Yeah, so. yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> uh, it all ties together with, with building your personality as a teacher, I think. Like it doesn't have to be a punch on for you to come up with something innovative that captures student no. engagement, which is good. No. Really good. No. <laughs> well, you and I will talk then, will we? <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, it, it Actually, it's really funny you mentioned Steam too. That might be subject for another podcast that we can go into where the A fits in. Oh, yeah, the A is, we are Team Steam in our area. I mean, every yeah. time our school talks about them, I think we've been doing Steam for ages. You know, mm. um, I think they have, not they, I shouldn't say that, but I think um, those 21st century skills have come from what the arts do. You know, that yeah. very specific process of developing ideas. So, yes, that's probably for another time. But Yeah, I, won't. I was about to d- dig in a little bit further, but we'll save it for another one maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, well, that's, that's a really great picture of how things have worked for you, I guess, over the last few decades at this point. Yeah, what? A few couple. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm couple. We'll say just, <laughs> just over 20 years, just under 25. But it sounds like you had that 25 under your belt in year one, so you might be all right. Uh, <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, maybe I, maybe I was born a teacher. Who knows? <laughs> well, we like to finish every episode of this podcast with one big lightning bolt of wisdom that you can think about wanting to share with the rest of the teaching community. So what is your the, the thing, the big tip, the big life hack? What's the thing you would want to tell everyone? Okay, are you ready, are you ready for it? Let's go. Let's do this. Are you ready for this? Um, <laughs> I learned from a, a mentor of mine, an ex-colleague of mine, when I was just straight out of college and into teaching. You know, some days are going to be great. Other days aren't going to be so great. But every time I go into that classroom and I'm a little bit unsure, and I still do it now, I but I give this tip to my pre-service teachers. I always say to them, you know, whatever happens today, however it goes, you still know more than they do. That's my big pearl of wisdom. <laughs> Not untrue in more cases than one. So, yeah, I always hang on to that and I think, yep, I still know more than them. Don't worry what happens. Yep, they'll never outsmart you. <laughs> well, thank you very much for being one of our inaugural guests on the Teaching Culture Cast. We might have you back again for Steam or Art or something bigger if you're open to it. It's been a great chat and we'll see you again soon. Thank you very much for having me. That was fun. We'll see you next time, Sandra. That was Sandra talking about all things lesson plans, adaptive, flexible learning reflection, and a lot of great stories, to be perfectly honest. Join us next week for episode three of the Teaching Culture Cast when we talk to Alex, who's going to give us the perspective of a pre-service teacher, but someone who has worked for a long time in learning support, and will provide some knowledge in some of those gaps that we might not know as much as we thought we did. Particularly some of you active teachers out there, If you weren't sure about educational support in the greatest sense, then this episode will help you greatly. Thanks for listening, get in touch, and we'll see you next time.